0: Welcome to the latest episode of Close Readings. This series we've called The Long and Short because in it we're looking at a selection of modern long poems and short stories. Modern meaning, in this case, from about the middle of the 19th century onwards. And as always, our conversation is informed by the immense archive of essays and reviews and other things that make up the back catalogue of the London Review of Books. My name is Seamus Perry. I'm a tutor in English at Bagel College in Oxford and I'm talking to Mark Ford, poet, critic and professor of English literature at University College London. And today, I'm sorry to say, we've reached the final installment of this particular run and our subject is the short stories of Elizabeth Bowen. So Mark, these short stories are the most recent that we've looked at and I suppose we can find all sorts of ways in which they're drawing on the short stories that we've considered before, stories by James and stories by Mansfield but perhaps especially Joyce. Yes, um, the
1: connections with particularly the dead and stories such as Mysterious Core* are particularly worth considering. Bowen was Anglo-Irish. Her family had actually moved over back in the 17th century when Cromwell (laughs) invaded Ireland and her ancestry sort of dates back over, over centuries, but she did spend most of her life, she grew up in Kent rather than um, in Ireland, but um, there was, she had this big house called called Bowen's Court that uh, eventually she had to sell in the 1950s, but in some ways she's very interestingly divided between Ireland and England, particularly the south coast of England, um Many of the stories take place on the south coast of England, uh, but others take place in Ireland. And I think what's interesting in terms of our Anglo-Irish ancestry in relation to certainly uh, two or three of the stories we're going to be talking about is the the way they slide into a kind of melodramatic Gothic excess Mm. that reminds one of Dracula or Sheridan Le Fanu, um, a sense in which something rather supernatural or grotesque or impossible to make sense of, some kind of threat is
0: is being enacted, uh, which is quite characteristic of writing in that tradition. Yes, it's an importantly different kind of Irishness, isn't it? And, and Bowen herself um, talks about the, the phenomenon of Anglo-Irishness quite a lot in her interviews and essays and things like that. And she always characterizes it as, as a state where you aren't really quite one thing or another, or you're Irish when you want to be, but you're English when you're not being Irish. So in that sense, it's very different from Joyce, isn't it, for whom Irishness, at least as it's represented in, in Dubliners, um, is a sort of condition which you cannot escape, really. It's, it's something that kind of saturates you
1: that's true i think what they share is that especially in those those early stories but in portrait as well portrait of the artist the young man is that astonishingly dispassionate um uh perspective on experience that there, you find in both um, Dubliners and um, Bowen's short stories really acute social realism that, that she's both, both obviously famous for their, for their novels as well as their stories. But in the stories, which are quite different for, from Bowen, Bowen's novels, in that the characters, she liked to say, they didn't develop in her stories. But she captures an atmosphere, an environment, a place, um, a kind of social condition almost with utter acuteness and real sort of detail, which is completely convincing. So each of these stories is really sort of saturated in recognisable uh,
0: milieu. So let's start with the first of the of the stories uh, that we, we said we were going to be talking about. And this is quite an early story called The Parrot. Um, I think this is an amazing a wonderful, funny, sad story, which really I think shows its sort of joycean credentials very clearly, but is at the same time doing something very different um uh f- from joyce um so it's all about um as our, i I'm sure our readers know it's all about a parrot l- that escapes um and the um in the end successful attempts of eleanor the the, the paid companion to um get it back and, and and restore it to Mrs. Wilsdon, who is her 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 boss, her employer. And Bowen uses this um, story, doesn't she, in a brilliantly understated way to explore Eleanor's own desire for escape and liberation into an alternative kind of life to the um, terribly confined and trapped and imprisoning life that she lives with Mrs. Wilsdon. So in that sense, it does feel a little bit like... um, Eleanor feels a little bit like a Joyce character, like um, Lily from The Dead or or Maria from Clay, maybe.
1: Yes, she's trapped in Mrs. Wilsdon's house, which is rather dull, dure. Mr. Wilsdon has been long dead. Uh, Mrs. Wilsdon is a not-particularly-sympathetic person to work with. The one thing she seems to be interested in or care about is her parrot. She's very fond of her parrot. And this parrot escapes early in the morning, and and Eleanor Fitch and the parlour-maid Maud are described um, rushing out onto the lawn to try and catch this parrot, which then you see progress down the street and it's okay if it would stay in the Philpott's house because the Philpotts are an acceptable family but the last house on the road which is not in London by the way it's outside London somewhere in the suburbs is owned by the Lennicott's and the Lennicott's are clearly bohemians of some kind yeah. a fairly mild kind as far as one can tell but they are bohemians and he writes books which are thought to be improper but are possibly avant-garde rather than particularly kind of rude in that um, Mrs. Wilson. Gets one from the library and is embarrassed to have to ask for it. And well, then she when she to... gets it home, she can't get through it. because yes. It's obviously quite kind of experimental. Uh, yes. So that's where the parrot lands. So poor Eleanor has to go along the wall and jump down into the Lenocott's garden. And this is entering forbidden territory for this rather you know, dreamy, uh, very sympathetic characters, tremendous kind of pathos and poignance, particularly towards the end, because she's terrified of the Lenicots that somehow she thinks that this is, you know, dancing with the devil, so to speak. Yes. Uh, and in fact, they're rather kind, uh, though, you know, eccentric, in a perhaps slightly obvious way. He's wearing a dressing gown with dragons embroidered on it. Absolutely. And uh, she's in the garden with her feet on a watering can, uh, sort of um, relaxing early in the morning. But the actual interactions between the Lennicottes and Eleanor are very sort
0: of touchingly done. We've talked a little bit about its Joyce in credentials. I suppose you could also see in it something that resembles Lawrence, in that there is a a respectable uh, veneer of nice civility and polite life, but actually, underneath it is is bubbling this fierce, rather kind of sexualized kind of life, which Bowen ironizes in a a delightful and, and humorous way, but nevertheless, you know, still lets us feel that there is this slight kind of erotic or sexual charge the sun streamed in and Mr. Lennicott's dragons glowed. (laughs) I mean, Lawrence, that would be given to you straight.
1: Yes, um, it's true. There's a sentence, say, when she's describing the parrot, it wore an air of silly bravado and looked what it was, thoroughly idiotic. (laughs) Now, Lawrence could have written that line. He's very very good at capturing animals and somehow getting animals and, and presenting them as if they were people and had a kind of life of their own. And this parrot, we don't admire this parrot at all. It's it's not been given to Mrs. Wilson by a romantic pirate or anything like that. She bought it at an auction. Yes. And um, it doesn't say anything interesting, and it's annoying and uh, there's a sense in which it, it's new in some ways, if it's nouveau. It's
0: not standing for a principle of vitality. Really, Absolutely not. Is it, in this one. In fact, it's a knackered parrot. Take me, it seemed to say. I am an old sick bird, <laughs> beaten out and weary. I have aspired and failed. It is finished. Which is what Christ says on the cross after all. It is finished. Take me. <laughs> there's something very, very funny about the way that, that she adopts this kind of Lorentzian evocation of a kind of subterranean, exciting animal life. And then, as I say, kind of sends it up at some level.
1: And in fact, I like the way in, in a couple of times she compares Eleanor to a cat. In fact, Mr. Lennicott says to, to Eleanor, young girl like you should be able to climb like a cat. And you get the sense of Eleanor's kind of physicality yes. um, in the, that kind of metaphor. And you get this really vertiginous moment when she's up on the roof because the parrot, she's about to catch the parrot, but she moves too fast and it jumps up onto the gutter of the Lenicott's house and then onto the roof, which means she has to enter the Lennicott's house, which is absolutely terror terephobotic. To mix my languages, she's in in real peril. She thinks of her her moral state, and Mister Lenocot climbs up onto the roof and seems to forget about the parrot. Yes,
0: yes, it has to be reminded <laughs> why he's there.
1: That's right. And she climbs up after him, and um. When she looks down, she looks down on the street, and it's a kind of bird's-eye view, which I think looks forward in some ways to the way the moon operates in Mysterious in Core. Mystery- yes. This really high, impersonal view down, which is a beautiful perspective. I'll, I'll read the passage. It's a couple of pages from the end. "'He gripped both her hands and hoisted,' that's Mr Lennicott, "'hoisting Eleanor up onto the roof. "'He was sitting astride of the roof, "'and Eleanor sat side-saddle, tucking down her skirts round her legs. White clouds had come up and bowled past before the wind like puffballs. The poplars swayed confidentially towards one another, then swayed apart in mirth. One of the Philpot girls was mending a bicycle down in their garden, but she did not look up. Her bowed back looked narrow and virginal. Amazing word, isn't it? Eleanor half laughed elatedly and smooth her hair behind her ears. Hmm. I mean, the release that she's experiencing in this escape from the sort of claustrophobic gloom of Mrs. Wilson's uh, house up there, and it, it's just a... It's not an epiphany. It's just a momentary release or escape, but it's really
0: exhilarating. Yes, it's a momentary escape, isn't it? And it's going to come to an end, and it's important that by the end of the story she's reincarcerated. Again, she's back in the world of Mrs. Wilson's and tells her a lie, says that she managed to get the parrot back on her own and didn't have to get anyone's help. And Mrs. Wilson's response to that is very striking, isn't it? She says, if strange people had caught him, even people quite respectable and honest, it would have put me in an embarrassing position. Under compliment, I mean. I do very much dislike being under compliment, Mm -hmm. which is an Irishism, meaning, you know, to be obliged or obligated to someone. So you get a wonderful glimpse, don't you, of of really quite a damaged psyche uh, at the end there. Thanks for listening to this extract from The Long and Short, a close reading series from the London Review of Books. To listen to the full episodes and all our other close reading series, sign up to our close reading subscription, go to lrb.me forward slash close readings, or click on the link in the description.